0: Um, I'm excited as well to be back here for this week because this week um, kicks off a year of us highlighting uh, the partners that we have in ministry around the globe. Because of God's generous provision, a lot of that coming through through you all, um, we have got the opportunity this year in in 2022 to bring all of our ministry partners in um, for a week at a time so that we can reconnect with them, get a sense of of what their ministries are. So um, not only... um, Folks who've grown up in our church and have gone on to do mission work and are doing significant things, but even some of our missionaries like Tomasz and Hanka Palifka and their kids and David and Alicja um, um, we're going to bring them in throughout this year and and get a week to spend getting to know them and connecting with them. Uh, this week, though, we are starting with I think the most appropriate person we could ever start with. Dave and Michelle Rothkar are here for the week, and uh, Dave's going to speak to you this morning. Um, Dave has been supported by our church for over 30 years, uh, starting out as uh, the one who started uh, student mobilization up on the UCA campus, moving from there to a missionary in Asia, and then in that uh, country in Asia becoming uh, a leader in that uh, area, and then kind of regionally a leader, then moving back uh, to the home office of Reach Global and becoming um, the head of Trainer and mobilizer, and intern person there, and now serving with the Center for mission mobilization uh, david I, Dave is um, let me tell you two things about Dave. The first one is just to get you to believe that i 'm telling you the truth, and then the second one because you believe the first one you 'll know the second one 's true. Dave is a big man in fact i don 't want to be on the stage with him. I will walk down before he gets up here because Dave is literally a big man in appropriate proportions, not like me as a big man. Um, But the other thing I would tell you is Dave is a big deal. Um, In the missions world, uh, there are a number of people who have significant influence and who are doing some really significant things. And and I'm not just introducing Dave. This is really the truth. Dave is a big deal. Um, As the head of the Center for Mission Mobilization, he has a strategic influence in mobilizing people around the world to meet the need of the nations um, by mobilizing people in other nations. Um, Certainly there's some American reality to that, uh, but for the most part, as you're going to hear in the message today, the mobilization that needs to take place is the mobilization of other Christians in other areas of the world to meet um, the need of sharing the gospel in places that they can access and that they are more culturally related to. And Dave is a key player in that world. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up, uh, if you named the probably the 10 most significant movers and shakers in the mission world, um, Dave Rothkar's names on that list and that's totally out of proportion for uh, the opportunity that we as a church our size and located in Conway Arkansas have. Uh, we are truly truly blessed to have had such a long partnership through many many things and for Dave to be here to share with us uh, this morning and to be here a couple more days and uh, get to know him, and so um, I'm going to ask Dave to come on up and speak to us, and I'm going to quickly exit the stage.
1: Well, thank you so much, Ken. Again, my friends, just a a wonderful privilege and blessing to be here with you this morning. Uh, Humbled to be here with you. Again, God uh, brought us here as a family uh, uh, back in 1987 uh, to launch the the campus ministry here at UCA. It seems like a, a long, long time ago. Uh, and it was. wasn't it? Uh, but, uh, but, but since then, God has taken us uh, global to do some fun things. And we want to share with you a little bit about that. You get this picture here. In 1997, uh, my family and I moved to Asia. And uh, some of you remember our kiddos, maybe when they were that size. Uh, but again, a young family moves to a creative access country yeah, because we believed a story. We believed that there was something about the Great Commission and what we were, we were to do about it that we wanted to take personal responsibility for. And you launched us out. Uh, To do that. And you stayed as uh, amazing faithful prayer partners, giving partners, and and participants even uh, in that vision. Uh, While we were there, what got us there is my beautiful wife, Michelle, an occupational therapist. And uh, God used her skills and abilities to do uh, follow up treatments after surgeries and children with special needs and a variety of things like that, which gave us credibility locally uh, in the community with government officials and others like that to be there and to stay there and to show mercy. And from that mercy platform, we were able to then share the gospel uh, and to do training with other pastors and leaders and, and such. And God did some really amazing, amazing things uh, with the church in, in that country where we were. Part of that was that my friend, uh, my co-partner and I there in the blue shirt, uh, his name's David, too, in English. We'd, get, we'd go together to these locations. And because of that platform of mercy, that platform of, of uh, physical, compassionate touch, we were able then to proclaim the gospel to unreached peoples, unreached tribal groups, unreached villages, people who'd never had the gospel before, were able to be there in the middle of that, and to bring the church that was around that, close by in those cities, to come with us and experience that, what that would look like. I'm going to come back to that a little bit in the message, just so you see that there was a taste of something God was doing there, that today has actually formed the foundation of what I get to do, uh, which I am just excited about. So also, just to show you also the, the family that we've got, after that first original picture, this is really just so I can show you my grandkids. Um, my, wife, my lovely wife, Michelle, and I up in the upper left corner there. Then the lower left is my oldest son, Nathan, and his wife, Jenny. Our two grandsons, uh, Hudson and Micah, ages five and three. And then our upper right is our son, Joel, our second son, his wife, Brittany, and our newest little grand, granddaughter, uh, Remy, who's five months old now today. And then on the lower right is our daughter, Rachel, who was that little baby in that earlier picture. Uh, today, she's 23 and getting ready to get married in April, so I need your prayers right now. Uh, I need your checkbooks also. Uh, Uh, Javi is a wonderful young man who's being trained as a military chaplain in the Army. We just are excited about what the future has for them and for our family. Uh, Let me jump into our story here a little bit by telling you about a woman named Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a believer in the local community we lived in. And uh, God today, and this this is just a few months ago, uh, she and her husband were taken... uh, they went away to a city out to be with her family for a special lunar holiday. A lot of people in that culture travel hundreds of miles to be with family uh, in the situation and They went there to be with her parents and uh, but while there, they were taken into for questioning by local officials. They were arrested and held there and, and uh, she, uh, They were separated husband and wife apart and she was uh, significantly mistreated. Uh, they would take her into this room and say, well, "What are you doing here? Why are you here? Why are you helping these foreigners?" Uh, undermine our country, undermine our our, our our purpose and who we're doing what we're doing here. Why are you doing this? Why are you helping them? And they would slap her this way. And then they'd say, you know that we, uh, you know, your husband is here. I hope you want to see your husband again because right now things aren't looking very good. We know you have a two-year-old son. We know you want to see your son again. Slap. Tell us what you're doing. Tell us who you're working with. Tell us all these things. And in the midst of that, Elizabeth was, again, she's, uh, she's weeping. She's... What are you doing? I haven't done anything wrong. Why are, you, why are you here? Why are you treating me this way? As they went off into a corner to kind of conspire a little bit more, she would pray to God she as shares, she shares a story with us, that, uh, God, I just pray that I would, uh, I would not give up my, my, my friends, that I would not uh, say, deny you, that I would stay strong in my faith and in the message of the gospel and those I'm trying to mobilize here in our city because God was using her dramatically to move the church, help churches get on mission. She says, God, please just help me. And so amazingly, after about uh, maybe 10, 12 hours of this, she was actually released because uh, she believes because the government felt like they would probably accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. They had intimidated her. They'd they'd frightened her. They'd scared her enough that she wouldn't do that any longer. They took her phone. They took her computer. Uh, She didn't feel like she felt like she'd done all the security protocols she was supposed to do so that they wouldn't get any of that information. But again, she wasn't sure what was happening. About six hours after she was released, her husband was released. He was much worse for the wear. Same threats, same all those things. And then they go back home. They've got a two-year-old little boy, and she's pregnant now today with another one. And and the question is, what would cause someone to do that? Why would a woman with this husband, young woman, family, growing family, what would cause her to endure this kind of, 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 of pressure, this persecution, these threats? who would do that why would she do that it's because she saw herself as part of the story a vital important part of, of moving the church to take the gospel to the ends of earth she believed Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 she believed this passage the gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations And then the end shall come. She believed that she had a personal responsibility to see this fulfilled. and So she did that. So this morning we're going to take this passage and use it as our outline a little bit. We call it the plan of the kingdom, Matthew 24, 14. Our message is the gospel of the kingdom. Our method is proclamation of the message in word and in deed. Our measure is the whole world, all nations. Our momentum is is that the end will come. Our message is the gospel of the kingdom. That word gospel, we know what it means. It means good news, right? So what is the good news that we're to proclaim? What is this good news that we're about? This gospel of the kingdom. It's certainly at least this. In 1 John three eight, uh, the writer John says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came to defeat Satan, to defeat his his purposes his cause. We see through that, through the victory of the cross, we see victory over Satan, victory over sin, and victory over death. Yeah, that's good news. Yes, you're gonna have to follow me here. Say yes. Victory in Christ, our message is victory over Satan. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says this that through death, he Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil and might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. That was you and me. Before we came to know Christ, we were enslaved. The the evil one had us in his grip. And yet now there's victory over Satan in Christ. That is good news. That is good news. Secondly, we have victory over sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, Jesus, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died has, is freed from sin. So today I'm freed from Satan and his wily ways. I'm also freed from sin in my life. I don't have to live that way in, in slavery to it any longer. I'm freed. That's good news. There's also victory in Christ over death. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 and, and following. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, death has no sting any longer. Now, these days, I know that we are sitting here and we're a little bit afraid of death. We're in, in the midst of COVID. We're in the midst of all these things. And it's been difficult. We've lost loved ones. We've lost these things. About just a few months ago, I had the, the difficult task of doing a memorial service for my nephew. He was only 40 years old. He was my oldest brother's only child, his son. And un, unexpectedly, uh, he, he died. He passed away. And I'm asked to do the memorial service. And fortunately, through conversations I had with my nephew, Ryan, I was able to, 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 to we've had those conversations. That, what's, what's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you had that opportunity to, to put your faith in Christ and and he wasn't a perfect young man at all, but we know through those conversations, at least he's, pro- he's told me that he's, he's had that he's made that decision, he's, he's made that claim. And I could, at that service, I could, I could boldly claim, you know, based on his, his proclamation to me, only God and he know about his faith, but based on that proclamation, I could say today that he is not here, that he is with Jesus Christ, amen? That is victory over death. See, I don't have to be afraid of, of death. I don't have to be afraid of what happened. Run. i know that he is with jesus that is victory that is good news today we struggle with those things i know it's a difficult world right now but i know there are also members of the of that audience they were about this size who who did not have that that confidence who had that fear satan was in the, was engaged in their world evil was in, in their world sin was in their world and death was a part of their life and i was able to say but you know in christ There is good news. Amen? There's hope. Now, you may say, Dave, well, I don't feel like a victorious believer all the time here. Uh, You know, it's kind of tough. We've gone through COVID. We've gone through sickness. It's Omicron's coming around again. All this stuff's happening in the world today. Uh, Wars and rumors of wars and what's going on here? But a friend of mine told me it's kind of like this. It's in a sense, if you are a World War II buff or have any knowledge at all like that, it's like... uh, you know, VE Day is the day we celebrate as Victory in Europe Day. That's the day we, when the, the hostilities ended, actually. But but historians will tell us that actually the victory of World War II came in Europe, not on VE Day, but actually on what? On the day that the Allied troops landed at Normandy. That was actually the day that the, the back was broken of the Axis powers. That was the day victory actually happened. And for us today, victory In our life is when Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose again. That is the day of victory. Now, there's going to come a time in the future when Christ returns and we'll be removed from the presence of Satan, the presence of sin, the presence of death. Today we have experience with that. But that day is coming. The the, the victory is won. The future is certain. That is the good news that we proclaim. That is the gospel of the kingdom. That is good news that you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can be saved by his death on the cross, to take your place. That is good news. That's our message. Our method is that we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. It shall be proclaimed. So sometimes it's translated preached, but it's really this idea of being heralded. You're heralding out the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus was a great model for us of what this would look like day to day. Uh, let's look at that. In Matthew chapter 9.35, it says this, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Well, there you have it. Jesus was going to the people. That's our first model. He was going to where they are. He wasn't waiting for them to come to him. He was going through all the trails and, and, and roads and back, back alleys and places like that to go to the people where they are, taking the initiative to go out to them. Secondly, it says he was teaching in their synagogues. What do you have to be able to do to teach in a synagogue? You've got to be able to know their language, their culture, their hopes, their dreams, their, their passions, their fears, their, their nightmares, their hopes, all those things. You've got to become one of them. That's what Jesus did. He became one of them, one of us. He got down in the trenches with us so he could talk to us, teach us. He was going to the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. And then it says he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Isn't that fun? The king was proclaiming that that he's the, it's here, I'm here. The good news is here. The gospel of the kingdom. But he didn't just do it verbally. Look at what's next. It says he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now certainly this was him coming as the Messiah, declaring I am the the one that's been prophesied. I'm here. The proof of that is, is my healing, my ability to do this. Declaring he his authority as the one, as the Messiah, the son of God. But certainly also, I think it also reveals the heart of God. Because see, he could have proclaimed and verified that he's the Messiah by riding in the clouds and doing all kinds of other stuff. But he didn't do that. Instead, it says, it says he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. As you're going out there and as he's touching someone who's a, a leper who's never been touched in their life, who's been, who's been thrown away, get away from me, to have someone, the Messiah, someone like this, of this authority, this, this love, to come and put their hands on him for the first time in his life ever, What does that say about the compassionate heart of God? It says, I love you. It says, this is not the way it was meant to be, and it's not the way it's going to be. Jesus demonstrates verbal proclamation of the gospel, and he demonstrates the compassionate heart and love of God through his his healing work and his compassionate touch. That's the model of Jesus, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. It's in word and in deed, and we'll see that further. In Second Corinthians chapter five, verses eighteen to twenty, we have a responsibility. God has reconciled us uh, to uh, to Himself through Christ. Second chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter five gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We beg you, beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our voice. That's what we do as we're going out into the villages and towns and the streets of Conway and Arkansas and wherever else. We're, we're begging you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God as we're proclaiming the gospel, gospel of the kingdom and demonstrating compassionate hands uh, in the city around us. Actually, for Jesus' disciples, he gave them actually five commissions. We're quite familiar with the, the great commission, we call it, Matthew chapter 28. But actually five different times at least, Jesus told his disciples, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you to go out to the world to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, we're most familiar with, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And if there's, a, right now there's some discussion, Well, what does he mean by nations? Is that, a, is that a, the Greeks? Is that uh, some kind of minority groups? Is that tribal groups? Is that languages? What does that mean? And, and you go, okay, well, let's, let's, get, let's get over that. Let's go to Mark 16 to make it really clear what uh, the gospel does there. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Right? He says, okay, if you're worried, if you're hung up on this other little word here, the ethne, the, the nations, let's just make it clear, it's everybody. All right. Luke chapter 24 continues, Repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name among all nations. That's not that's the word languages and tongues and tribes and groups, beginning from Jerusalem. John twenty twenty-one, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, even so I'm sending you. And that you includes you and me today. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, very familiar to you, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, or mostly to the end of the earth, or close to the end of the earth. or No, what does it say? To the end of the earth. To, mo- to most of the nations, to all the nations. To most of creation, whole Everybody. Now, the gospel must be proclaimed. The simple message of the gospel, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. These amazing declarative truth statements that Jesus makes. This is the simplicity of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now, here's the question. As I'm doing this, what what is it supposed to look like? I've got the model of Jesus, but so Jesus came, he modeled it for us, he died on the cross, gave us victory uh, of, of, over Satan, sin and death, and gospel by grace through faith, but, but now he's, and I know he's coming back again, right, in the future, what am I supposed to be doing in the meantime? What does that look like for me now? I'm to be an ambassador, I get that, but, but what is that supposed to really look like? Well let me just tell you, a friend uh, Dr. Michael Frost shares some uh, interesting insights, and tell me what you think about it.
2: to come. Here's the best kind of modern day explanation I can make of it. You know when you go to the cinema or the theatre as you guys call it, you know when you go to the theatre and you see a movie and they always play trailers of upcoming features, right? You sit there and the trailers run, one after the other one. Just watch. Don't watch the trailers, just watch people. Sit in the back row if you like and watch what people do after each trailer. After each trailer has has, uh, just been played, people turn to each other and they say, do you want to see that? Or that looks good which is what a trailer's meant to do, isn't it? It's meant to create a little taste of the movie which is to come. Uh, it's meant to put all the best explosions or the funniest lines or the most romantic moments in the trailer so that you want to see more. And you also know some trailers really cheat you because they have the only <laughs> funny lines the only... You know. Well, I want you to imagine that at the regeneration of all things that Jesus spoke of, that in the age to come, when the kingdom breaks through completely and utterly, not fitfully, not mysteriously, but total and complete, I want you to imagine that is the most amazing blockbuster movie that you've ever seen. What your job, folks, to do is to be a trailer for that upcoming feature. So people are supposed to read your life, or not just yours individually, but your community's life, They're meant to look at the justice and the peace and the goodness and the mercy and the kindness. They're meant to see the truth and the announcement. And they're meant to say, do you want to see that? Do you want to see more of that?
1: How do you feel about that? Our life is a a trailer of things to come, right? A foretaste of things to come. People see our life. See you out there in the workplace. See your family on the, on the soccer field. See you working. See this body uh, at Fellowship here engaged in the community, serving in mercy and proclaiming the gospel. And it's giving a foretaste of things to come. This is what it's going to be like. This is a taste of what it's going to be like, what it means to follow Jesus now and what it's going to be like in that day. Hey, you want to see some more of that? Let people be saying that about your life and my life, about this church. Hey, what this, this guy's doing over there? That's pretty cool. Let's go, let's go get some of that, right And of course, because he's got an Australian accent, he speaks with authority and what he says is true. But it challenges me, it challenges me greatly is my life is my life a trailer for, for things to come do I, when people see me, do they see Jesus in me? They see, I'm not a perfect guy. You're, we're not perfect people, but do they see the authenticity of the gospel being proclaimed in word and in truth, the gospel of the kingdom and being? The mercies of God being demonstrated. But to, to compare that with also, we've got to make sure that we, we look at some things David Platt has written. He's got a great book I encourage you to, to get your hands on. It's called Something Needs to Change. And he says this, though, to, to make sure we're, we're, we're on the right track, though, as we consider about our, what we do when we provide these, uh, these foretastes. Working to provide clean water, medical clinics, care for orphans, rescue from slavery, and all sorts of other earthly suffering is extremely significant. How significant is it? Extremely significant. Say it again. How extremely? Extremely. Yet ministry that addresses eternal suffering is infinitely more important. Why? No water filter, food program, medical clinic, or slavery rescue operation will by itself get anyone into heaven. Over and above all these physical needs is the need for reconciliation with God. And that need can only be met when the gospel is proclaimed. Amen? Well, so we've got our message, we've got our method, which is proclamation, our measure. So again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So the question is, how are we doing? How's it going? Right? That should be the, the question that's before us. How are we doing? What are we, what's happening out there? Right? So let's just unpack that a little bit here. Right now today, about a third of the world would say it's Christian. Uh, somewhere along that line, it's hard to know exactly what the number is. That doesn't mean that they are are all true believers, true followers of Jesus Christ, as you and I would understand that. But if you were to ask them in their culture or whatever it might be, they say so on their identity card that they're a Christian because they they grew up in that culture and you have to declare what you are. That's about the number today. About another uh, third or so, uh, that, that yellow section there, B, they have access to the gospel, but they've chosen not to follow Jesus so far. They have, they have a church, they have the Bible, they have all the access to all the things they need to make a decision, but as of yet, they haven't done so. That's about three billion people in the world approximately today that still are in that place. Uh, very important, very important to reach out to them. The other group we're going to look at tonight, today is this other group in the red section there, that A section. Uh, again, it's probably about a third, this, this, is a, this statistic's close, but it's probably about three billion people again in the world today who are we call term unreached with the gospel. They have, they've never heard of Jesus. They have no, no chance of hearing. There's no Bibles, no churches, no, no Christians of any significant number. There's no one. They don't know a Christian. They don't know anyone who knows a Christian. They're the unreached, we term them today. So, how are we doing at reaching out into the world today? One of the things you've got to realize is that 72% of our workers today, in terms of missions, focus on that, that, that green section there, that sequence. Uh, area now that's not a bad thing. it's just the question is what are they doing there? What's the impact they're trying to make in that area? That's what's important to think about. What are they trying to do? Uh, second, one, the B area, those working among those who haven't said yet yes to Jesus have access, but haven't have yet to say yes. About 25% of our workers work there in that part of the world. Very important. But in the A area, there you can see only 3% of our, our missionary workers work to reach out to that 3 billion people there who have yet to have no access even to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, but how are we doing? The church is on the move, though, my friends. Don't be discouraged when you look at some of that. You should say, wow, there's a lot to do, yes, but there's also God is doing dramatic things. In 1910, there were an estimated 600 million Christians worldwide, total, right? Just a century, a little over a century ago. Today, there are an estimated 2.2 billion Christians in the world today. That's a huge in-gathering what God is doing, and the church continues to grow dramatically. Today, there are Scripture portions in 3,415 languages representing 7 billion people. Those aren't full Bibles, but at least there are portions of Scripture representing 7 billion people on the planet can access those. The number added to the body of Christ worldwide every day averages 174,000 people. Every single day, 174,000 people make a decision for Jesus Christ. And finally, 3,500 new churches are opening every week worldwide. 3,500 every single week. That is good news. God is on the move. The church is on the move. The God's Spirit is on the move. I don't have to worry about whether or not God is going to accomplish his mission, correct? God is on mission, and we get to be part of that. Here's something you may not be aware of, but what amazing things God is doing more Muslims have come to faith in the last 10 years than in the, one, the previous 1,000 years combined. I hope that blows you away. More Muslims have come to faith in the last 10 years than in the previous 1,000 years. God is on the move. The church is on the move. The church in Iran today is on the move. You don't hear about that. You won't hear about that in the news. But the church in Iran is exploding in a good way. (laughs) It is on the move with the gospel. Amazing things are happening. How are we doing in terms of finances? About $700 billion is given to missions every year. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, things like that. About $45 billion is actually given to missions specifically. Okay, Pretty good amount of money. 87% 87% of that $45 billion, of that money, goes to the, to the C area, the green area. All right, again, depends on what they're doing with it. The B, 12%, goes to that area to reach out to those guys that are, have yet to say yes to Jesus. And only 1%, though, goes to that red area, the place that is unreached with the gospel. Only 1% of the missions money, the finances that are given, go to that area. So we've got some hurdles that we still need to overcome dramatically. So let's talk about some of those. Briefly, there's, this is one of the hurdles. It's, it's a teacup Yorkie wearing a bumblebee costume, right? Cute. I love him to death. We used to have one of these guys. Uh, but the, the, the issue is, right now, and we can do better, is that we spend more money as Christian believers on Halloween costumes for our pets than we give to missions. Okay? We can do better. Yes, we can. All right? Secondly, more money is reported embezzled from churches than is given to missions. We can do better. Yes. Say yes. <laughs> Finally, here churchgoers were surveyed, and uh, it says the question was asked: Have you heard of the Great Commission? Have you even heard of the Great Commission? Fifty-one percent of the of churchgoers, not in this church but in other churches, said, "I have no idea what you're talking about." I have no fifty percent. I have no idea what you're talking about. Another twenty-five percent plus said, "Well, yeah, I've heard of it, but I really can't tell you what it is." exactly what it's about. And uh, another uh, 17% or so said, yeah, I know what it is. So we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. It's okay. We're moving forward. We have some hurdles, but we're moving forward. Today in the world, like I said, there are 3 billion people on the planet that uh, do not have access to the gospel. 3% of our missionaries focus there. 1% of mission funding goes to focus on them. We have two options to do something about that. That number, by the way, in, in, in my world, the mission I lead, the Center for Mission Mobilization, we say that that $3 billion unreached with the gospel is unacceptable. That's an unacceptable number, right? Cannot stand. And so there are two things we can do about it. You can either go and do something about it, or you can send others to go do something about it. Those are the two things that you can do. What struck me earlier, this is this uh, picture similar to what a hill I was standing on in the country where we served, back of that earlier picture back in the day, standing on that hillside, Seeing mountain and valley and mountain and valley, literally as far as I could see. Knowing that on each mountain top was a tribal group. um, Each valley was a different group, different language group. Mountain, different, valley, different, as far as I could see. It was going to take a different strategy and plan to reach each and every one of them. And yet I, as a Western worker here, could not go out there. I was not allowed to go out there to do that. It was going to take someone who was local, who had local access, knowledge, language, all those factors to do that. What God helped me to understand as I'm standing there is that I, I'm surrounded by a church, literally, in the city we lived in, a city of 12 million people that you've never heard of. There was a, a church that just wasn't going. It just needed to be equipped and resourced and encouraged and moved to break through some barriers of their own cultural barriers, their own prejudices, to go and take the gospel to those people. That's what we focus the majority of our time on as we continued our time in service in our mission. The day is that day today, though, is dramatic. I'm going to tell you why. It's time for a handoff of the mission's baton, so you can go ourselves, which we did. We moved to another culture. We moved to the other side of the world. Learned language. Learned culture. Did all those things. But today, we sh- there still should be people that go. But perhaps what we're doing as we're going. Maybe it's a different day today than it was when we went originally. Maybe there's something different than we can do that's more strategic, that's a better stewardship. Let me tell you why. Today in the world, in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, 80% of the evangelical church, 600 million-plus believers, that's where the church is. Asia, Africa, Latin America. 80% of the evangelical church globally already lives among the unreached or near Unreach. here's the problem though, you've got 80% of the Christians in the world here, but they only send 20% of the, the cross-cultural missionaries to the world that doesn't seem okay in fact, that's, not, that's unacceptable in, in the mission I lead, we say that's unacceptable, and that's why we actually came into existence, and that's what sustains us in mission, is to see the church that's global, to have the privilege and the opportunity to move its people onto mission to reach the unreached. It's strategic. It's a good stewardship. I lead a ministry called the Center for Mission Mobilization, mobilization mobilization.org. Our mission is to mobilize the global church to send missionaries to the unreached. That's what we do. Resource and equip the global church to produce their own missionaries, to prepare their own missionaries, to provide for their own missionaries to reach 3 billion who are unreached. There's a map here that it's hard to see on this slide sometimes, but basically what we're trying to do, we've identified 62 countries globally that have 1 million or more evangelical Christians in them. That's the green that's on this map here. Each one of those countries has 1 million or more evangelical Christians there. The reddish color on the map is where there are 5 million or more unreached people groups in population in those countries. And you'll see another thing here. We've got a little stripe on that map here. That's where the evangelical Christians live, literally right next door or, or among the unreached. In a city like Nairobi, Kenya, there's great opportunity. In Kenya, there are 20 million evangelical Christians in the country of Kenya. In Nairobi, this great city where there's millions of Christians, they in that same city just across a highway here in an area called Parkland Sedum. Just across that highway, there are 400,000 Somali Muslims right here who are untouched with the gospel. What if someone came and helped this church cross that barrier? How effective would they be? Language, culture, insights. They just don't go because there's fear, there's prejudice, there's all kinds of factors that feed into that. But how strategic is that versus having this guy, this big guy here, show up out there with his red vest, right? Not the most strategic thing on the planet to do. That's what we do. We help the church in Asia, Africa, and Latin America to cross through and break through those barriers to take the gospel to their near neighbors. Sometimes they're geographically close, sometimes they're culturally close. There are 50 million evangelical believers in Brazil today who are waiting and being mobilized, moving, wanting to go to the nations, wanting to go to the unreached. Now, they don't have access geographically close to them, but God has done amazing things to make them culturally close to people of Turkey, believe it or not and the language, and the culture. They're acceptable. They can go. They have the ability to go. They have the education to go. They have the the wealth to go. I was just in in Egypt uh, a month and a half ago, two months ago. The great church of Egypt, you won't maybe understand this or hadn't heard this, is that there are four million evangelical Christians in Egypt. Now, seven, eight years ago, we know, we've heard all the stories of the difficulties of the Muslim Brotherhood and the, the churches that were torn down and people persecuted, and that's still difficult today. And yet today the church has the opportunity. What other church has the education, the access, the opportunity to take the gospel to across the Middle East, across North Africa, across the Horn of Africa, across into into Iran, Iraq, Syria, on and on and on. That church is poised. Plus there are six million refugees who flooded into Egypt. Half a a million Syrians have flooded into Egypt. Uh, 3.5 million uh, refugees from Sudan have flooded into Egypt. Who's going to reach them? It's not going to be the guy in the red vest. God has done amazing things. The other thing about these, these opportunities, we, we only send 3% of our workers there, where you and I, we, in 60, 70% of those locations where the unreached are, we can't even go there. We're not even allowed access to go there. Yet these guys can walk right in the front door. That's what God is doing today. There's a new era of mission sending. We helped the church in those places to discover God's heart for mission, develop their role and deploy strategically with indigenous sending uh, entities. This last year, in 2020, we saw 30,000 individuals de- discover God's heart in their churches. 14,000 almost were, were developed in small group discipleship to, to develop their, their uh, part in doing that, their role in doing that. And we saw over 2,600 almost deploy strategically into mission. This year, in, the, in 2021, those first two numbers, we've already seen those numbers double to 60,000 and almost 30,000. It's, God is on the move, my friends. He's doing it through a people we never would have thought to, to move the global church to mission. Our message, the gospel, our method is proclamation. Our measure is all nations. Our momentum is, is that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. See, I don't know when that is. I don't know when all people are going to be reached. I don't know when the last person is going to be reached. Only God knows, right? He knows when that's going to happen. What I do know is that life is a vapor. Amen? I'm not afraid of death, but life is a vapor. My time is short. The clock is ticking. Jesus is returning. Jesus is going to return. History is headed toward an end. It's not just going to keep going. It's headed toward an end when Jesus will return. We have an opportunity to be part of fulfilling the gospel opportunity. Our part is to give that foretaste of the gospel, that foretaste, proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed. That's our job, is to do that. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us then, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. From doing what? From proclaiming the gospel of kingdom and word and deed. This gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What about Elizabeth? Today, she returned back to her home after that series of events, and and no one would have blamed her, saying, Dave, I'm out. (laughs) I've had enough. I've done my part. Forget it. But she hasn't. She's continuing to mobilize the church in her city. She and her husband continue to, to speak out and proclaim the gospel and equip leaders in the church to discover God's heart for all nations, to develop their role and to deploy strategically into God's mission. And she's having an amazing impact on the world today. You and I have that opportunity. Let us not lose heart. We must work while it is day. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for the privilege to be here and to share with these dear friends. Thank you for their prayers and their support, uh, their commitment to us for all these years. We pray that we'll keep walking together for years to come. For the sake of your name, among the unreached, Lord, reach the unreached. Use us to do that, we ask. All these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.